Are you confused about dating in the Delta era? Wondering if you should wear a mask on your date, eat outside, meet at their place, do a virtual date, or just stay at home alone? Don't worry. I got you covered. You can join me for a free live workshop, Dating in the Delta Era Decoded. It's happening on Tuesday, today, September 14th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Register now for free at demonahoffman.com slash webinar or check the show notes for the link. Are we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe I just want somebody to share my life. You can marry the most handsome guy or the most beautiful woman. And then after the wedding, the next morning, you got what you got. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've read my advice in the L.A. Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hey, lovers, welcome. Today's episode is brought to you by my Dating Accelerator program, the new and improved 10-week version of my most popular group coaching program is launching at the end of this month. If you're ready to level up your love life, then the Dating Accelerator group program is designed just for you. You'll get 10 weekly video lessons walking you step-by-step through your new dating life. And then we'll put those concepts into action in your five live group coaching sessions with me. You'll also get a 30-minute Q&A session on Facebook Live in a private group with me each week, plus a dating workbook to record your dating exercises and track your progress towards that meaningful relationship that you want and that you deserve. Don't wait for your fantasy relationship to happen for you. Go out and make it happen by joining me in the Dating Accelerator at demonahoffman.com slash group. Today's episode is for anyone who has ever felt burned out by swipe culture, anyone who thinks that the one may have gotten away, and anyone who strives to be the best partner that they can be in a relationship. You're in for a treat because my guest today is the one and only Pastor Calvin Roberson. You probably know him as Pastor Cal, the marriage expert on Lifetime's hit TV show, Married at First Sight. He's also now the author of a new book, Marriage Ain't for Punks. And he's going to talk about how to get out of the swipe momentum and find a relationship that you actually want to stick with and work on. But first, the definitive guide to digitally deleting your ex for good. And relationship minimalism is a new trend amongst millennials. Is it for you? Then in Dear Demona, I'll answer questions from you, including, he says there's something missing in the relationship. What does this even mean? And can she fix it? And how to find intellectual chemistry on dating apps. Lovers, get ready. Let's dish. D's dating dish. Metro in the UK hit us with this new headline, how to digitally delete your ex. Now we've talked before about blocking or snoozing an ex and how to really cut off contact. And I believe that you need some sort of a healing period. If you've had a breakup, even if it wasn't a dramatic breakup, you need some time to be able to reset the dynamic between yourself and your ex. If you're moving from romantic partners to friends, you're moving from romantic partners to F buddies, you're moving from romantic partners to strangers, you need to create some sort of a break and a reset in the relationship, which means you might need to do a digital audit of your relationship. And there was some stuff in this article that actually totally blew my mind, things I hadn't even thought about. They recommend changing any and all passwords, even if they're not passwords that you think that they know. I didn't even realize this, but sure, you might have used your ex's 
iPad or computer to check your email or go on your social media. And you know what that means? It's a shared computer. They might actually have your password and have access to all of your things. And even even if it's amicable now, why set yourself up for potential drama down the road? Just go ahead and change all those passwords. Start fresh. This article actually cited a survey by a company called F-Secure, and they found that over 370,000 people in the UK knowingly continue using their ex's Netflix subscription after a breakup. Let me tell you, as a content creator, that's dirty. (laughs) That bothers me. But it also, it bothers me because I want y'all investing in the content that you're using. Also, it bothers me that someone would be basically violating your privacy by using your stuff, stuff that you pay for, without your consent. No, 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 no. And then they also say in this article, you have to realize that there's a chance, even if the breakup was good, that it's normal to snoop. So you have to look at your social media privacy settings because you never know, you might post something and then they are able to see it and then it becomes a drama. They respond, they post a winky face emoji and then the next person you're dating is like, why did your ex post this winky face emoji? I don't know, you might need to snooze, you might need to block, you might need to unfriend them all together. It says also that you should unfriend people connected to your ex that you don't feel that you should be connected to. And this one, I I really felt this because I'm actually connected to a lot of my friends' exes. And I realized there's so many people on my social media, on my personal accounts that I don't actually talk to on a daily basis. And that I don't necessarily have a connection to anymore now that they've broken up with my friends. So this is a good time to just do an audit of your social media and and see who you're actually connected to. And I've talked about this on the show before. Like you might need to delete some of your albums and go back and delete some pictures because if that could stand in the way of you moving into your next relationship, you got to ask if those pictures really should be on your account. They also go in a level deeper and say, reset all of your smart devices in your home, devices that connect to your lights, fridge, et cetera, like Alexa or Google Home. And in extreme cases where you feel unsafe, check for stalkerware and invest in antivirus software. Man, that seems like a lot of work just for having a relationship end. (laughs) But it's good to know what you can do and what you maybe should do the next time you have a breakup, just so you can start with a clean slate and be digitally safe. Continuing on the topic of deleting people that you don't talk to from your social media, The Guardian had an interesting article on something called relationship minimalism. Yeah, it's pretty much what you think it is. It's basically inspired by a number of YouTubers who talk about Marie Kondoing their lives, about You guys know Marie Kondo, right? She is all about decluttering and organizing your life. I know I've Marie Kondoed my closet a few times. I do have some regrets, but overall, it has helped my life immensely to release as much of the clutter as possible. And YouTubers Ronald Banks and Kelly Stamps and James Sweetland were talking about how they do this not just in their closets now, but they Marie Kondo their relationships. So they say any relationship, romantic or otherwise, causes emotional clutter. 
I hadn't even thought of it that way emotional clutter. But that's exactly what it is. When you are sitting there responding at one in the morning to this person that is always creating drama and chaos, even if they're not a romantic relationship, but you're just like, why am I following this person? Or why am I continuing to open up to this person that is an emotional vampire and is sucking all the energy out of me? Because guess what? When you do that, When you engage in those relationships that really are only taking your energy from you, you don't have the energy left to invest in other relationships or particularly in new relationships. So what this article says is you should opt for fewer but more quality relationships and trim down the amount of unnecessary emotional engagement in the world. And this just really resonated for me. I think our lives have really expanded as the social media and internet ecosystem has expanded. So the number of people that you connect with on a daily basis is so much greater than the brain can actually handle. And I read an article that said that only you can only really maintain a hundred meaningful relationships in your life. I think it even said in your lifetime, but think of it that way. If a hundred is the number and then you look at your social media, I don't know, I might have like 2,700 on my personal Facebook and then thousands on my public social media. And you think it's not possible to develop that many meaningful relationships. Don't worry, I'm not blocking I'm not blocking you guys, and I still want to be connected on social, but it's, it's good food for thought just in terms of the emotional investment pie that you're dealing with and how many people you can actually offer emotional support to, you can have a meaningful connection with, and who is actually pulling and draining from you and represents emotional clutter. So if you don't know the Marie Kondo method, I highly recommend it. You can check out the link to this article in the show notes, maybe follow some of these YouTubers who talk about how they've implemented this minimalism. But when you release clutter, I can tell you firsthand, it really adds a lightness, a levity to your life. It creates space. It creates openings for new opportunities. I have talked on the show before about how, in addition to working with a coach, I was working with a feng shui consultant before I met the man who is now my husband. And we did this whole cleanse and clearing and intention setting. And I think all of that was in the perfect storm that brought us into one another's world. And it's not it's not woo-woo, y'all. It's 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 really concrete. If you've ever done a cleanse or a purge or spring cleaning, you know that it creates more space and it creates a whole different tone in your space where you're spending a lot of time right now. It creates more physical space, which impacts your mental health and it impacts your ability to expand your life in other ways because you have more space for it. So I want you to expand into the relationship that you dream of. We're getting deep. This is just the first segment of the show, but stick around because I will be joined in just a moment by Pastor Cal of Lifetimes Married at First Sight. Welcome back. I am here with Pastor Calvin Roberson from Lifetime's hit show, Married at First Sight. Pastor Cal has been a marriage counselor for over 20 years, and now he's the author of the book, Marriage Ain't for Punks. And we ain't punks, so obviously we need all of his secrets to find a forever relationship. Please help me give big smooches to Pastor Cal. 
It's been a minute since you were on Dates and Mates. We were talking about Married at First Sight the last time. Now you have a new book, Marriage Ain't for Punks. I know. Wow, look how time flies. It really does, especially when you're like sheltering it pl- in place with your spouse and your kids. I know, and- <laughs> I know, I know. I know. <laughs> you can't go anywhere. It has been a crazy year for single people, but also people in relationships. And I imagine probably feels like the perfect time to to release this book with everything going on. It really does. You know, and it's funny. I was reading um, a statistic that said during the from the beginning of the quarantine to now, actually, divorces have decreased. Why do you think that is? I mean, it's it's crazy. I think it's because people when when you're confined in a space and you're, you know, you're not going anywhere and you it's almost like, first of all, you can't get out to the to the courts. That's that's a big deal. And secondly, I think a lot of it has to do with fear. And people are, you know, they, they're unsure of the future. They're unsure of, of what's going to happen in our society. And whenever there's fear, you always retreat to what's comfortable. You retreat to what you know. And it's like the devil I know is better than the devil I don't. So people kind of stay in their relationships. Yeah, I you, we talk about that a lot on the show because... You know, as the OkCupid dating expert and someone who's been in the online dating game for a long time, I have seen there's this feeling of I'm going to get the next thing like, oh, this person doesn't check every single box. So let's just swipe and we'll we'll get the next one in. But I really I agree with you that sometimes the devil, you know, and sometimes like it's better. We have such a replacement society. Like, you know, I see this with my kids all the time, like toy breaks and they're just like. They're just like, oh, next new. T- I need a new toy. Wait, let's fix the toy that we have, right? Nobody fixes so- <laughs> anything. <laughs> no. In your work, I'm curious, especially like with Married and First Sight, these folks are married at First Sight, and then you work with them to figure out if they can make this relationship work or not. But the stakes are high. They're already married. There's a lot of science that goes into the matching that you do on Married at First Sight. What do you think the important factors based on your work there and based on all your many years of relationship counseling, what are the factors of long-term relationship success? You know, I can go back to when people were getting married in the 50s and 60s and 70s, why did they stay married for 35, 40 years? You know, I mean, what were the elements that were that existed then? And, and are they even relevant now? Yes, they are. The reason that people stayed married back then was, number one, it was more than a romantic marriage. This was a commitment. I mean, they looked at marriage as like a staple of society. It was more than just, hey, you know, meet me at the altar in your white dress. We ain't getting no younger. You know, you know that song. It's like, <laughs> it's a beautiful night. We're looking for something dumb to do, you know. Uh, so it, it was it was more than that. It was like marriage really meant something. And so when they entered into it, they entered the commitment of marriage. They were like, we're in this thing. We're, we're, we're putting the commitment first. And I think that that's why arranged marriages that start with the commitment have like a 90, 95% success rate as opposed to romantic marriages in the West. So first of all, understanding, you know, that the values, commitment, uh, those things that are, you know, that, that are not just exterior, you know, not just a checklist, you know, you got to be this height or she got to be this shape, but that at the end of the day, that crap doesn't matter. That's just so minimal. You can marry the most handsome guy or the most beautiful woman. 
And then, you know, after the wedding, all that comes off and the next morning you got what you got. So it's, it's, it's like, you know, so yeah, I, I think the values, the commitment, understanding that this thing is deeper than, uh, than merely just. I've heard you say before, marriage is not supposed to work. Yeah. Marriage is not supposed to work. People work. What do you mean by that? I, I, I mean that people often put all the pressure on marriage. You know, well, my marriage is not working. My marriage is not working. As though marriage has a life of its own or a marriage is the thing that is supposed to make you happy. No, people make people happy. First of all, you make yourself happy. People contribute to your happiness. And so when I say marriage is not supposed to work, people are work. I'm hoping that that takes the, the focus off the institution and on the institutionalized. That doesn't sound right, but you understand what I'm saying. You know? I do. I really do understand what you're saying. Yeah, right. Because it's the people in the relationship that has to do the work. If your marriage is not working, there's a reason. You're doing something wrong. You're not uh, uh, being vulnerable. You're not, uh, you don't understand what submission, I mean, real submission looks like. You don't understand what compromise looks like. You can't be two individuals just trying only to be individuals if you're going to be a married couple. I agree with you on that. I'm going to give you a hard time over one word you said. <laughs> Come on. I know. I bet I can guess what I it is, Demona. You, go ahead. Go ahead, Pastor Kelly. I Cal. bet it's submission. Yeah, it sure is. I know. <laughs> I have a feeling we'll come to a meeting of the minds on it. Tell me what, <laughs> what that word means to you. Okay. Well, you, first of all, when I, whenever I say that word submission, it always, you know, hey. And for some reason, the women seem to have a bigger problem with it than the men. Hmm. But here's the thing. Whenever I talk about submission, I'm not talking about one gender over the other. I'm talking about mutual submission. I believe that the men and women need to understand what it means to submit. There is nothing wrong with a man submitting to his wife. Absolutely nothing wrong. And to submit simply means I'm going to give you the lead on this one. I'm going to relax myself and let you do this. Okay? I don't have to be the winner all the time. I don't have to be right all the time. I don't have to be the alpha all the time. I just don't. Because any marriage where one person is always the leader, one person is always the, the running things, it's going to end in, in, in complete failure. I knew we were going to agree on it ultimately. And I think even I, it's just this it's this constant compromise, really, and this constant dance that you have to do with your partner to find that middle ground. And even as like a pretty type A <laughs> Right, right. Forward, you know, forward thinking woman. There are definitely moments where I, I mean, I really value my husband's input. And I really, there are moments where also he's not a big talker as a, as a lot of husbands aren't. And there are definitely moments where I recognize that my role in certain, at certain times is to just listen. I think sometimes we get that confused of when do we need to listen? When do we need to offer support? And when do we need to get involved right. and do something? Right. And it's not the archaic notion of submission where, you know, you're back in the in the 40s where the wife is this little, you know, coy homemaker where she's at home, she's cooking and waiting for her husband to come home. And she, before he gets there, she throws on the apron, takes the apron off and fixes herself up. And she's ready, <laughs> yes. you know, for him. And then he comes home and, and everything's wonderful. No, that's not it. That's, that's not the idea of submission. You're right. It's compromise. Both 
parties need to learn how to give and how to how to relinquish sometimes their own power for the benefit of the relationship. And that's not easy, but marriage ain't for punks. <laughs> no, it certainly isn't. There's another thing that you said in the book that really stuck out to me. You said happiness is not the goal of marriage. Yeah, yeah. What, what's the goal of marriage? Right, right. <laughs> Listen, and, and it's funny, Demona, it's funny because whenever I ask a, a young couple, if I'm sitting down and, uh, for uh, uh, premarital counseling or anything, I said, well, I asked them first, what is the goal of your marriage? And they look like I just asked them to, you know, donate a kidney because it's like no one thinks about marriage having a goal. And then they said, well, I, I want to be happy. I, I, well, we want to be happy. OK, fine. Well, once you're happy, then what? You know, or, or even better, how do you get there? Happiness is an emotion that's completely fleeting. You may be happy today. You won't be happy tomorrow. A goal has to be measurable. You know the whole acronym SMART. It has to be specific. It has to be measurable. It has to be uh, actionable. It has to be uh, whatever they are in the TR. But there, there has to. We'll be, look it up. We'll look it up. Yeah. But there everybody's has, doing that right now. I know. Right? I know. What is a SMART? It's a SMART but, acronym. But the thing is, is that when you throw happiness into that matrix, it doesn't fit. You don't know when you have achieved happiness because you know there's always more to to achieve. I mean it's. Happiness is different for everyone. So when I say happiness is not the goal of marriage, I believe that every marriage should have something they're trying to attain to. They should have something that they're trying to accomplish. My wife and I, when we got married, first of all, from the time we met to the time we married, it was six months, period. It was almost like married at first sight, but, but you know, married at half a year. But the thing is, is that after we got married, we decided, because we both came from past relationships that were really, really troubled, and we both decided that we're going to have a goal in our marriage. And that goal was to share our experience, share our life with other couples so they could learn from our mistakes and learn how to live a happy relationship. That has been our goal. Now, on the way to that goal, there's been some happy times and some sad times. You know, we've had ups and downs. But the goal is the goal, whatever the couple determines that goal to be. Happiness is simply the feelings, the good feelings you're going to get on your way to it. You know, so so if if you're thinking happiness is being the goal of marriage, what happens when you achieve that? Are you have you reached your goal? No, you have to keep going. You know, so there has to be something bigger. I challenge all couples to sit down and write out what goals you have in your marriage. What do you want to accomplish in this union? I don't want to change my community. That's such a great. Wow. That is a really amazing suggestion. And I feel like I've. Uh, I mean, I've been married. I actually literally just discovered this week that I've been married for 14 years. I've been saying 13 all year. Demona, wait a minute. <laughs> and I, I have a friend that got married. Uh, we got married in April. I have a friend that got married in September. And she just this week posted her wedding photos and was like 14 years. And I was like, wait, if you've been married 14 years, that means I've been married 14 <laughs> that years. Is, that first Completely year was a blur. Forgot. That first year was a blur. So you, you know what? We had a couple <laughs> kids in that time, and that's where, like, I call my son's first year the lost year, right. and then everybody knows the last year was the lost year as well. And then uh, with my daughter, so basically, there's about four years in there that I just I don't know what happened. So you've only but been married all, two years, right? <laughs> and all that. I guess it's good because it it says also that. I'm still, it still feels fresh to me. Like, I think 14 years, that sounds like a heck of a long time. But in 
in all that time, I don't know that I've ever asked that question of what is the goal of our marriage. And I will say, I feel like it has shifted multiple times because we've been in so many different seasons in our life. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. That it's shifted. Goals do shift. Uh, goals, goals. I mean, my wife and I, our goal you know, has shifted. I mean, we, we started, we wanted to help couples and we still do. But how we accomplish that goal has, has shifted completely. It was, you know, so you, you have to constantly communicate, constantly determine what your goals are, constantly readjust. But that's the beauty and the fun and excitement of this thing, man. I mean, if I'm just constantly rediscovering and constantly just re, re just re-energizing what those new goals are in our marriage, I mean, it keeps it alive. Yes. Yes. And I think it helps you. Like if I, if you were to ask me uh, maybe 14 years ago what the goal of my marriage was, I think I would say to make each of us a better person, because I really believe that. I think we we amplify the great things about one another. We identify the things that we each need to work on. And we do that together. Right now, I would say the goal is just like keeping my children alive. <laughs> they're back in school and COVID and like, oh, uh, I think the larger goal is still for me. I'm just very interested in personal development and self-study. Uh, but I want to back this up for the listeners that are not married yet. I know marriage ain't for punks is for people who are married, but it's also for people who are in newer relationships or for people who who want the kind of relationship that you and I have. Foundationally, do you feel like there are certain things that they would glean from this book that would help them to set their relationship off on the right path? Oh, God, absolutely. First of all, um, one thing, when I wrote this book, I intentionally wrote it uh, with people in mind who are married, who are single, who are thinking about marriage, who are divorced, who are thinking about remarriage. And, and the principles that are um, that are brought out in the book can apply to anyone at any of those stages. When we talk about communication and, and how to openly and honestly communicate, how do I how do I speak to you in a way where you can listen? You know, talking to you um, or talking with you as opposed to talking at you. You know, talking at is like talking to a subordinate. You know, talking to is instructive, and talking with someone is sort of interactive. You know, and so. Uh, that and, and knowing how to apologize and how to accept an apology and how to forgive and how to be forgiven. You know, these are things that anyone in any relationship can can grasp and embrace, even when it comes to how do I get out of a relationship that's not good for me? You know, especially when there when we have connections like children or, or, or other kinds of connections. How do I where do I place this person so that I can live civilly? in that relationship and still, you know, keep my sanity. And, and so we talk about that in a book uh, on boundaries. And those are principles that anyone can adopt, irrespective of what stage you are in your relationship. What do you say? I, I recently got a message from one of our listeners who was saying that they've identified they have an anxious attachment style. So for them, some of these things that you're talking about, like like boundaries and even even like forgiveness, when your nature is to to just like immediately pursue the connection without even just on an emotional level doing having some of these deeper levels of connection seated in the partnership. 
So, you know, now that people are becoming more aware of their attachment style, some people are anxious and they just dive right in and some people are avoidant. Like that was me before I was married, certainly. I I was like, oh, we're this is too much work. Like you're you're, you're going to bring me trouble. I don't want any trouble. I'm doing other things. Bye. And I would just run from it. And luckily, I've developed a more secure attachment style now. But I know a lot of our listeners have identified that they're either anxious or avoidant and and still want to have that loving connection. Yeah. And, and that's that's interesting, because when you look at attachment styles, whether it's it's undergirded with anxiety or, or avoidance or, or what have you. First of all, I believe attachment styles can be altered. Um, I always have a, um, I always have a, um, I'm a little hesitant when someone says, this is my attachment style, when they're self-diagnosing themselves and saying, this is how I, this is my problem, or this is my challenge, or this is, this is how I am. Because I believe all those things can be changed or altered. Um, with, you know, in accordance with the kind of people you're in a relationship with. There are some people who, who will, who will welcome, you know, anxiety-based attachment. You know, there are some people who, I want you to be all over me. You know, I want you to dive in 100%. You know, I want you to be that kind of person, you know. Um, and, and so I, I just, I just feel as though if that is you, first of all, I'm a big fan of therapy. Demona, people need help. And, and if you are identifying yourself as having a particular type of, of challenge when it comes to attaching to another person, first thing you need to do is get some serious help. Doesn't mean you're crazy. Doesn't mean you're, you know, you're, you're, you're loony. <laughs> it simply means you need some, an objective party to help you clearly define who you are and how you are. And I think that once you do that, it, it just gives you a better picture of, of what your style really is. Are you really anxious or are you fearful? Are you really anxious or is there just, it's just, there are just some insecurities that you're dealing with? You know, uh, I know a lot of people who are, who will jump into relationships, you know, speaking of that anxiety, they'll jump into relationships and they'll get hurt. They'll jump into something wholeheartedly. They'll get hurt. And I have to, I'm thinking of one person in particular and I had to, to counsel them and say, listen, there's nothing wrong with your desire to want to be in the relationship. I think that's great. That simply means you have a, a heart that's open to love. What you need to do, as we said earlier, you need to start erecting just some boundaries. You need to start recognizing when to implement those boundaries. And that had to come with, you know, with some talking to and some revelation and some revealing, some self-introspection. So, you know, it, it's, it takes a while. You know, there's no carte blanche answer, you know, for any of that. I'm so glad that you spoke up about therapy. I also am a believer in in therapy. And I think a lot of times people come to me and they're, they don't quite understand the difference between dating coaching or relationship coaching and therapy. But, you know, with your therapist, you're working on these, these um, underlying beliefs and behaviors on a regular basis that I think then lead up to you being able to interact with your partner in an authentic and, and, you know, emotional way. But yeah, I agree with you. If you identify one of these challenges, like you, you've got to have some sort of reflective process so that you understand, like you were saying, those those warning signs and you can put those tent poles in place so that when you see it come up again, because you will continue to attract. If you know you have an anxious attachment style, you're going to continue to att attract people that foster that because that's what you'll you'll feel that as attraction. 
like, oh, well, he he loved bomb me and he said everything right. that I wanted to hear. And then we're like, this is great. You know, and right, I'm always right. like, no, 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 it's not a great sign. A six right, hour right. birthday. It's not actually a great sign. No, no, no. Slow it down. Slow it down. So um, I really believe in slow love. But like even you said six months, you you and your your wife got married after six months. Like that can be slow love. When I'm talking about slow love, I'm just saying like the first you can't declare your love for someone the first time you meet them. Oh, God, you no. really have to have these interactions. Right. And see how this person behaves in the real world and how it's not just like in a little fantasy bubble, but you have to actually go through it and you have to go through some of these tough times. You're absolutely too. right. And that, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges that we face on the show, Devona, is like either it's like one extreme or the other. Either people are all in and they're 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 in it 100% and they just want there to be just consistent balloons and bunny rabbits and Skittles and rainbows or you have people who are the other extreme, and they're like, yeah, "This is just not. Yeah, this is uh, no. This is not going to work." And and and, and to, to get people to find that happy medium where they they recognize the attraction, they recognize, okay, fine, we have some things that are really going great here. Now let's pace it, and let's you know get to know each other. Let's you know talk about ourselves, and the exercises that we give are for them to to reveal themselves to one another if they'll do the exercises. You know, it's to <laughs> that's the thing. Do the work. You know, but it's hard to get people to do the work. You know, it's for them to reveal themselves to one another so that they can grow in love. You know, because I, I there's a big difference between growing in love and falling in love. And I think that we often have been we've been inundated with this idea of falling in love, like it's it's this and it's romantic. The romantic notion that. Love is this thing that floats out there and it's like a puddle after a nice rain and you, you're walking along one day and you just step into it knee deep and wow, I'm in it. I'm in love. That sounds great, right? But it ain't true. That's, anybody who knows love understands that that's not how it works. Look, I've stepped in a lot you know? of puddles. My, I've gotten my dress all messed up, you know, Cheryl, got splashed up. <laughs> my hair's all messed up. <laughs> yes. And what happens? It's not always that romantic. <laughs> right. And what happens is that when you fall into something, it's like you're absolving yourself of the responsibility. It's like love found me. You know, I fell into it as opposed to no, this is something I decided to do. Love for me was a decision. What I told my wife after our first real conversation, because we had the first conversation where she completely rejected me. But after our first real... That's a story I want to hear, but maybe for the next show. <laughs> I know. Uh, after our first real conversation, I said, you know what? I'm going to marry her. I just like that. And I decided to be in a relationship with her. And at that point, love for me started to grow. And everything I did after that was simply adding on to that decision I made. You're so wise. I, I could talk to you all day, Pastor Cal, but I know you're filming TV shows. Oh, You've got, you it. wrote this book. <laughs> you have lots of other things to do. And I agree with you that marriage ain't for punks. And I know you're guiding everybody in just the right way to set themselves up for the relationship that will stand the test of time. So thank you for being here and sharing. Oh, your it was my so pleasure, Demona. We'll have to do it again. This is so much fun. This is two down, three's the charm. So we'll do it again. <laughs> I'll hold you to that. Thank All you for right. being here. Bye-bye. Y'all, make sure you get your hands on Pastor Cal's new book. It's called Marriage Ain't for Punks. And now it is out at your favorite bookstores. Next up, 
You have questions. I have answers. I have juicy answers for you. Here are the questions that are on your mind. Something's missing in the relationship. So what is it? And how to say you want someone smart on dating apps without saying that you want someone smart and sounding kind of elitist. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back. It's time to dive into your questions. Dear Demona. Demona, help me. Our first question came to me in a voicemail. Hi, Demona. I appreciate your podcast so much and just your optimism and wisdom. And I've just got a situation here. So I've been seeing this guy for about six months now. And last week, he told me that he felt like something was missing. Um, and we talked through it, and we made up, but I really don't know how to proceed from here. Like, is there anything I can do to, like, help him figure out what that thing is if I have it? I, I mean, I feel like this is a common thing with guys sometimes, and I'm just at a loss here. And, yeah, a little, little torn up about it. Uh, appreciate any advice you can give. Thanks. And thanks for what you do. It sounds to me what you're looking for here is clarity. And I want to unpack that a little bit for you because I feel like there is a lot of clarity in what he said. There's a lot here that he's working on that actually has nothing to do with you. I, a lot of times I get questions like this and I know we feel like we want to fix it. Something's wrong with the relationship. He says he doesn't know what it is. Something is missing. And so it must be my job to fill it because we're in this relationship together. It must be my responsibility to figure out what's wrong with me or what I've done wrong or why I'm not enough for him in this relationship so that I can help things move along to the ultimate relationship that I want and me getting my needs met here. But it's very clear from this that this is not your stuff. This is his stuff. And a lot of times when people say something is missing, it's because it's something that you can't provide. And so they'd rather be vague about it than actually say, I don't feel this deep attraction or I don't feel like we're building the right life together that I want or I don't feel like I'm an emotional place where I can even commit to this relationship, which is probably somewhere along the lines of what's really underneath it. It sounds like you've talked it through, but what did you really talk about? That's what I'm really interested in. What was in the context of that conversation? And then what what has he suggested that you do about it? Or what have you decided that you do about it? Because there's nothing that you specifically can do to change his mind. This is something that needs to shift within him. Now, the thing that caught my ear because I listen differently than I think a lot of folks do, is when you said, this is a common thing with guys. So this, to me, that sent up my spidey senses that this is potentially a pattern for you and that there's an opportunity for you to do a little learning yourself. Regardless of what the outcome of this relationship is, let's think about that how this has come up before in the past and what are the similarities that you're, you're clearly making associations between this situation and something you've been with in the past. So what are the commonalities? Did you get into the relationship the same way? Did you not have some of these deeper conversations about what you ultimately wanted in the relationship? Did you present yourself in one way online and then 
evolve in a different way in the relationship? Did you ignore any red flags along the way? I really, really want you to do some, some inner study around those choices and those outcomes that have happened for you because you're at a crossroads. You have a choice and it has nothing to do with him right now. You have a choice to develop a different roadmap for yourself. So if you've identified that you've gotten to this place before and you always let the guy lead and tell you how you need to change to be dateable and to be the person that that he needs to be, this is your opportunity to say, no, this is who I am. This is how I'm going to be in the relationship. And I'm here for you if you want this. But I'm not going to change. I'm not going to shift myself and tie myself in knots to be something that you want when all I can be is just me. So that's that's what you get to do here and and really figure out where those patterns are, where they've shown up in your life, either in your own personal life or in your relationship role models and or even your family of origin. And you get to write the rules. You get to set your boundaries. And I really want you to see what happens if you behave in a different way. What happens if you set a different boundary? And what happens if you ask for more from him? Because maybe, maybe he's scared himself of what he needs to step into to be able to be vulnerable and open and supportive in a relationship. And it's that boundary that will allow him to change but it will also allow you to change because you will gain that confidence in yourself that you're enough. You're enough. You don't need to be anyone else to be lovable. You just need to be unapologetically yourself. Next question comes to us from a listener named N. She says, how can you say that you're looking for someone smart and educated without sounding like you're too serious or elitist? I want chemistry, but I also want someone who can hold a conversation. (laughs) All right. For all you elitists out there, I will admit uh, I have been known to be elitist in my prior dating life. And I can tell you from my research that the way that people indicate intelligence. And it sounds like you're talking about, you said educated. So you're talking about book smarts intelligence. It's number one, dialogue. It's number one, the language that you use, the words that you choose to use, your vocabulary and the the syntax and sentence construction. So it's not so much that you need to say, I need someone smart. And this is a really common misconception. And I'm just going to keep repeating it until it starts making sense for everybody. You don't ever need to say on your dating profile or in your text messages like, I am looking for this. You, you actually never need to say that. You need to say, I am this. This is how I am in a relationship. These are the things that make me tick. This is what I get excited about. This is what I'm passionate about. These are my life goals. This is me. So then you attract people that are like, oh, I'm into that. I'm into someone smart and educated. (laughs) I'm into someone elitist. (laughs) That will telegraph out to the person that is right for you that you're a match. You don't need to do the sorting up front. You will be able to see when you get their profile and you see if they have poor punctuation or words misspelled. By the way, I'm like terrible with punctuation. I don't know what happened in my educational <laughs> experience that just did not give me the foundation of punctuation, but like 
that is the number one thing I am. <laughs> my editors, it must make my editors at LA Times and the Washington Post crazy. And I'm just probably not going to get any better at it. But thankfully, there's Grammarly. So, you know, try not to judge them too harshly because people have different marks of education. But you can get a sense of what sounds like what you want is a conversation, is, is an intellectual equal. And you can get a really good sense of that from their profile, from the text messages they send you, and especially, especially from real-time communication. There is no substitute for a phone conversation, a video chat, or an in-person date. And we need to be doing screening, but driving forward to those real-time communications because somebody somebody can use Grammarly and sound really, really smart. <laughs> I know from firsthand experience. But when you're in actual conversation with them, that's when you get that dynamic. So it sounds like you might not have been doing enough screening to get to that, that conversation and that you maybe are skipping steps and just moving right to the date. And then you're like, oh, I can't even have a conversation with this person best way to tell if you can have a conversation with them is by having a conversation with them. So bring back the phone call. This is kind of my answer to a lot of questions. <laughs> bring back the phone call. It will save you a lot of time. You will be able to tell a lot about your chemistry connection, about their intellectual prowess, and whether or not you actually want to move offline and get to know that person. But nobody wins when you make demands. So just let yourself shine through in your profile and let that be the honey that draws in the bees. I hope you enjoyed episode 378 of Dates and Mates. I love hearing from you. I love your voice memos. You can send me a voice memo or a DM on any of the socials at Damona Hoffman. You can also, like our listener today, text me or leave me a voicemail at 424-246-6255. I sure hope if you're single and looking that you are ready for a change because I would really love to change some love lives this year. Sign up for the Dating Accelerator Group Program. I swear it will accelerate your dating life. It will show you a completely new way of approaching dating both on the apps and off. And you get to work with me in a private group environment for 10 weeks. Sign up at DemonaHoffman.com slash group. The program starts September 20th. So if you are ready for a big change, then you're ready for the Dating Accelerator. You can sign up now at DemonaHoffman.com slash group. We will be back next Tuesday with Alex Stewart and Nikki Nunez of the Swipe Fat Podcast. We'll be talking about dating app tips for all body types, body positivity, and body neutrality, and how to avoid getting fetishized when you're dating. So no matter what body you are listening to this podcast in right now, it's definitely going to be a show for you. Until then, I wish you happy dating.